I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Ain't got a care in the world cause my conscience is clear. Ain't got no money in my pocket but my friends are all here. And we see demons lining up cause they say they can please us but we kick them to the curb cause we know they ain't Jesus. That is a TN underscore Tanya over at TikTok and the hashtags are church girl, Christian, Jesus, believe, joy, smile, Jesus loves you, student ministry, Jesus loves you, period. What was that? You want me to play it again? No. (laughs) Okay, play it again. (laughs) Ain't got a care in the world cause my conscience is clear. Ain't got no money in my pocket but my friends are all here. And we see demons lining up cause they say they can please us but we kick them to the curb cause we know they ain't Jesus. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah, she's like this like old white lady marching around a cinder block room, probably a dorm room or something. Right, because student ministry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. The Christians are on TikTok, guys. Oh. Watch out. Watch out. Watch, Watch out. out. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's a... Um, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to traumatize you. No, it's it's fine. We found it, so it's important everyone else knows about it. Right. I mean, if we're <laughs> going to have to suffer, they should know yeah. and suffer as well. Yes. It's only fair. Share the suffering. It's part of our ministry. (laughs) That's why we do this podcast, so we can share our suffering with you. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Where's the Hey, guys. (laughs) Oh, Kieran, how are you? I am surprisingly good, actually. I had a really good weekend, and I learned a lot about myself. So that's, like, material for maybe an after dark sometime, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've been meaning to ask you about this. Um, Yeah. But, you know, we'll save our personal lives for our off-recording hours. Yeah. How are you? Um, Similarly good weekend, similarly good personal developments. Uh, I went on a a nice hike. I went up to Sharp Top, which is back back in the day, Thomas Jefferson thought it was the tallest peak in Virginia, and I climbed that with a friend and my dog, and my dog did great, Yay. and my friend did great, and I did great, and I, I'd hiked it before, and it was kind of nice to, like, realize, like, how far I'd come, um, because last time I did it, like, there, I were, there were, like, a bunch of moments where I had to, like, stop, because I was, like, really could feel my heart rate going crazy, mm-hmm. and this time it was like, oh, yeah, like, the kick can like take it easy at a few points, but I'm like never hurting that much, and it was Yay. fine. Yeah, it was really cool. That is definitely what you want out of hikes. Yeah, it was super nice, and I saw hustlers, which I have like a lot of opinions about. Uh, yeah, mo- <laughs> mostly like, excuse me, if there are that many strippers, the odds are that some of them are going to be lesbians, and. Where are the lesbians? Yes, please send them. Thank you. Thank you. Where are? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. More yeah. lesbians. Mm-hmm. I have other thoughts too, but that's off topic. But yeah, it was a good weekend. Yay. All right. So what are we talking about today, Kieran? This episode is going to be 
exciting and possibly triggering um, if you... Well, we're going to be talking about miscarriages and stillbirths and these things. So if you need to skip, stop here. You enjoy the TikTok, it's fine. And it's particularly personal to me um, because September is always a really weird month for my mental health because that was when my mom had her first stillborn when I was 10. And that Mm -hmm. was like what I spent most of this month dealing with in therapy, actually. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, okay. So you want to maybe start us off by telling that story? Yes, I will set the landscape. 2001, I'm 10. It's literally 10 days after 9-11. Which means, like, if you're an OG listener and you've been keeping track, that means I've just finished having my first period. Yes. Yeah, and I was dealing with feelings about being confused about towers and watching that, like, all day that day with... Yeah, it was a lot. Anyway, so then after that, I got the flu. And Mm. my mom was very pregnant and was due at any point. And so me and my siblings all went to my grandparents' house on the other side of town to go be sick while mom was in labor. Be sick. Yeah, well, like, the last thing you want is, like, there were four of us at the time yeah you don't want the baby catching it yeah Yeah. you don't want four four peaking kids during birth Mm -hmm. so we all went away while the baby happened or was supposed to happen and um it was like an early morning and my grandparents tell us somehow that the labor is over and we can go home now, which I thought was weird considering babies and flu don't get along well, but I was also sick, so I didn't really question it. Um, And we got home, and everyone seemed, like, really sad, but I don't remember them saying anything that happened. Like, I don't remember being warned that the baby was dead, and I definitely do not remember being told that there was a corpse in my house. So, I had also, to even further contextualize this, just learned about the Black Plague. (laughs) So... Oh, that's bad timing. It was really bad timing, because I got in there, and I went into my mom's room, and like... All of my memory of this sequence takes place out of body. Like, I'm hovering over the ceiling and, like, watching this all unfold. So, like, I was... I got in there and I was, like, immediately dissociated because what I saw was my mom crying, holding a baby that seemed normal at the time. So I didn't understand why the crying was. And then I got closer and closer. And the baby was, like purple and blue and pink and not the alive colors that people are supposed to be when they're born. It was Mm -hmm. not that right color. Um, And so my mom like turns to me and asks me if I want to hold it and I I touched like its hand and it was cold. 
Mm-hmm. Like not lukewarm, not like had just recently been born and was just like dead, but like had been born for some time, was dead and was now freezing mm-hmm. uh, and stiff, kind of cold. And so I touched it and like just like this horror sent it set in and I realized that that baby was very dead was decomposing in my home. Did it and smell? I just learned it didn't smell or anything. Okay. It was like still not it's still that pretty fresh. Old. Okay. Yeah. But it was like dead enough for long enough that I was like just imagining like maggots and terrible things because I was like, oh no, we're going to die. Right, because you had no context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and like yeah, like I had literally just finished learning about the Black Plague and how dead people contributed to the terribleness of and it was just bad and so i was just like horrified and had zero context for any of anything that was happening and so i like backed away and i told my mom no i don't want to hold it and she was really really devastated like i saw it i saw that response crush her and i didn't know why because i was just like terrified of having a rotting corpse in my home with my other siblings and me like I had no idea what was going on so I leave my mom's bedroom and all my siblings did not recently learn about the black plague and did hold the rotting cold corpse and my mom seemed happy about that and I, like, remember her asking me at a later point, again, if I wanted to hold it after, like, all my siblings did and hadn't immediately died. But I still was like, no, because it really grossed me out, and that was the last thing that I wanted to do while also <laughs> sick. Right, right. <laughs> and there's there's these layers here where it's like, you know, aside from all of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode, which we'll get into like, I kind of, like, want to go off on this tangent here about, like, evangelicals and death. Yes. Because, like, I know, like, my my great-grandmother, when she died, I didn't go to her funeral, but it was an open casket Baptist, Southern Baptist funeral. And I remember my aunt being like, oh, my God, I cannot believe they, like, did an open casket funeral. And being, like, really upset about it. And, like, kind of thinking about this being, like, you know, it's kind of funny how, like, almost every other religion, like, interacts with death and has, like, a rubric for interacting with death mm-hmm. in a way that, like, allows you to be comfortable with bodies. Yeah. And, like... Uh, it's, I mean, there's this combination of like modern American sterility in terms of like just like atheist culture and like just like bodies aren't aren't real. Mm-hmm. And then there's this this element of like Christian Gnosticism in the ev- evangelical church where there's no concrete theology of sexuality and there's no concrete theology of what bodies are for and no. And no, like, like organized theology driving to, like, a, a, a holistic understanding of physicality and death and sex 
And yeah. so when it gets to these moments where it's like your face with an actual body, there's no container to put that in. Mm-hmm. And we're so separated from like death in general and everyday like modern life that like it's compounded because we're not like interacting with like the animals that are dying for our food if we're eating meat, you know, like we're not like aware of this life cycle on a daily basis. And so it's such a shock to the system to like see a body for the first time. Yes. Yes. Especially when you're 10 and nobody warned you. And nobody warned you. Like, like you (laughs) might've been okay if like you had been given like advance notice like hey we're going to a funeral and there's going to be an open casket like that could have been that would not have been as traumatizing yeah yeah like if I had just known there was a body I would have prepared myself and I would have been able to reason that I wasn't going to die of an old disease Uh but because there was no warning at all I just stumbled across my mom holding a dead body and being like here hold this thing who's been here for who knows how long (laughs) Right, 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 right. So, um, I laugh. It's not funny, but I laugh because you're you are doing that deflective humor thing. Yes. Um. Okay. So then, what happened? What did they do with the body? Uh. So the next thing I remember was like going and taking a nap and like waking up and my house being swarmed with uh like people in uniforms. There was paramedics there. There were like police ish there wait why were there cops there i don't know there was also the coroner so i think they were there oh they were there because the coroner was there yeah because we had to call the coroner and i don't know why there was also paramedics there probably to like make sure my mom was okay or something i don't know but yeah so like the coroner was there and all these people in uniforms who looked very official were there and they were asking me questions that I didn't know the answer to because I was sick and wasn't home. And I told them that and they were like, okay, that's fine. They were very understanding. And then like they took the body to the funeral home, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember like my mom like being very upset and like crying and screaming because like when they took the baby away because she like really hoped that it would not be dead I guess despite she was like like, expecting a miracle right and like the thing that is occurring to me now that it's been like 18 years is like my parents could have called 911 as soon as the baby didn't breathe within like 10 seconds or whatever and oh no like most (laughs) it it probably wouldn't have helped but like there was no reason to wait that long no, and and what's what's actually super upsetting about this story and like most of these kinds of like home birth stillbirth stories is like usually it's because like the stillbirth happens because of something that could have been prevented if they had oh, a hospital ex- yes. accessible. That's the kicker is I realized when I turned 18 that what it was that mm-hmm. caused the stillbirth was uh-huh. the umbilical cord wrapped around the baby's neck. Right, which is a C-section. Yes, yes. And the the my youngest sibling was born in a hospital because my mom had a C-section the year before. And guess what the thing was that she had? Mm-hmm. That exact same thing. They, like, 
did a C-section and like rolled her around three times and she was fine. Yep. And that was like all those years later, all of that like being really anxious about why the baby died and how like my parents told us it would not have been preventable. Like there was nothing anyone or any science or anything could have done to save the baby, which is in line with their theology, but not in line with like actual reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a pretty, well, and, and like, okay, so like let's back it up then. Like what's, what's the reasoning here about like avoiding hospitals? Well, for my parents, it was because they were, they believed that doctors were literally evil and of the devil. We've talked about this a little bit before. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I was like three years earlier, about when I was like seven or so, my parents joined this cult that was like very into faith healing and mm-hmm. taught that that's where my parents learned about home births and learned about being quiverful. And the first home birth they had was, like, two years before, and that went fine. And the reason my parents were confident they could do it without someone around is because the first stillbirth they had was really easy. The people who were supposed to come help lived, like, an hour away. So my mom called when her water broke, and the delivery was really fast and was done before they got there. And so my dad just caught that one, and it was fine. And so they were like, well, we've done this before. We, we shouldn't need help ever again. Mm-hmm. It will always be this easy. And that was not true at all. So, but because they, like, had that false confidence and the belief that any medical professional of any kind was bad, like, dentists and midwives were still bad. Well, maybe mm-hmm. midwives, midwives almost got a pass, but it was like they had to not work in a hospital. Oh. And for my parents, they were like, we don't need experts. So, yeah. Yeah, and and I think, like, a lot of that, like, comes down to, like, the, there's these, like, layers of, like, let's test our belief and let's test God to like prove God's power mm-hmm. and like give God an opportunity to like make a miracle happen. Yes. Because that will prove that like we are the chosen. And you know, it's like, yep, this like, yep. it's this weird hubris driven irrational argument for like, you know, if we believe that God is completely omnipotent, then it's entirely possible for God to save any sort of medical crisis because he raised Lazarus from the yep. dead. Yep. Why can't, excuse me, why can't he raise his baby? Right. So you get into these situations where it's like, okay, they already think vaccines are suspect. They already don't trust big pharma. There's like some good reasons for them to like, be critical of the medical system and then add to that concoction this like real magical thinking about what God can do to save things or heal things. Right. And 
suddenly you're taking your life in your hands and your children are dying because they've got smallpox or yep. measles. Yep. And you're praying it away and putting, you know, tea tree oil on it. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's exactly where my parents went with that for the rest of my life. Um while I was there was Okay. How did they that. like okay, so they're pro life. How did they talk about stillbirth? They talked Was it about like it. God's like this were they like all like this is God's little angel and like totally going and going to heaven or were they of the like, yeah, well we didn't get it baptized, so it's definitely gonna hell or what? No, they were of the like, well, God does everything for a reason and they're they really did struggle after the first one with like whether or not the baby was saved and they eventually came to the conclusion that because somewhere in the New Testament Jesus says that children are innocent and because the baby wasn't born and wasn't alive and therefore hadn't sinned because <laughs> it never breathed right <laughs> so never it was yeah fine. so it's like in catholic teaching it would have gone to purgatory and in baptist teaching it was like below the age of accountability so it went to heaven yes exactly <laughs> Yeah, my parents did ascribe to the age of accountability thing to some extent. Which is like seven? Is that what it was? Where you like have to like say the sinner's prayer by seven or like my you parents were like less on God? hard on like the age and they were more at like when you are of the mental capacity to understand what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So like, well, but like three month olds are rebellious, so clearly it's early. Right, but I think my parents were like, you have to, like, have, like, be cognizant of it. Like, three months old I love can't how you can. I love how they're, like, willing to, like, beat a child but not right. send it to hell for the exact same question at two different ages. Yep, 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 <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, so the reason I mentioned my period earlier is, like, because at that point, I was so indoctrinated in um pro-life thinking that i was like concerned with the fact that i had unfertilized eggs that were going to waste oh no (laughs) every time I, i had a period yep and i was like like it was a couple years i think that i was like counting oh and just kind of like aware in my head of like these are the babies that I've lost, like potential babies that I've lost. I'm like not really sure how to deal with that at that. Like I wasn't right. really like comfortable like saying that outright, but I kind of emotionally like felt like if all of these other things about pro life teaching have to be true, then like this is true. Yeah. And like and I wasn't like that reasoning, that emotion very emotional reasoning wasn't too far off because you know, now you see the whole, like, you know, if they miscarry an implanted egg, like, in some states, like, they've, pa- like, legislators have passed bills, um, or tried to pass bills that would hold a woman accountable yep. for killing her child if she yep. miscarries. Yeah. So, it's the same kind of reasoning, and I was so deep in it that, like, that was what was happening in my head. Yes. 
And I remember, I remember it was like the day before 9-11 was when my period started. And I remember looking at the mirror in the bathroom, like after like I put in a pad for the first time being like, this is it. Like I'm now officially like wasting lives. Like, and I need to like figure out a way to like not do that. I like, I didn't even have like a lot of of reasoning beyond that I wasn't necessarily like oh my god I have to get married right now although like that seemed like this the simplest solution but I just like was like aware of like clock is ticking yeah I remember also kind of having that that question of like oh no is my body aborting children yeah and I remember I don't remember if I like, this doesn't feel like something I would ask my mom about, but I feel like I did talk about it to someone, or maybe I just read about it, but, like, because I remember that being something that really troubled me, and then people being like, no, it only counts, like, after you're married, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. So, I, okay, I have, I can't remember, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I've talked about this story so much at various points but I got married on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade which I didn't realize was the anniversary of Roe v. Wade until my first anniversary when I had a fight with my ex-husband about whether or not we could celebrate our anniversary on our anniversary like I wanted oh my god because he wanted to go to the March for Life in DC because he always went to the March for Life in DC yeah you can't see the face I'm making, but it's a face. Uh-huh. I don't have enough gin for this com- this conversation. I was livid. And, like, at this point, we were on birth control, and we had, like, talked about it to this, this – we had gotten to this compromise, this very involved compromise, where I was on the pill, mm-hmm. and – you know, that means that sometimes if you oversleep or whatever, you you miss it and you take it late or, you know, like it, sometimes you just like forget the pill pack and you don't take it until the end of the day and like things happen. Yep. And so if that happened and so if I was like late on taking or, or miss a day or miss a day or two, um, and at this point, like I'll have you know, like I was deep in PTSD, like stuff I and I had no idea that I was in the thick of it like I was in a really bad way mental health wise and had no sense of that because it was the first time I was like out from basically living under a surveillance state Mm -hmm. and like my body was like freaking out because I was relaxed for the first time ever yeah so my memory was really bad because of PTSD so there would be days where I would forget like two or three days in a row and we'd have sex during that period and he, being more pro-life than I was, would had like created this rubric where he was fine with me being on birth control as long as when that happened, if that happened, I would stop taking the pill until my next period hit so that we could be sure that I wasn't pregnant. Uh, mm-hmm. wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which, like, in case you don't know, in case you're not aware, in case you were born with a dick and don't understand this, this means that I was fucking with my hormones 
significantly all the time. Uh. And so I, like, there's this whole, like, mythology around my divorce and his family that I was, like, super unstable. And that's, like, why he needed to leave me. Oh, my God. Let's look at the, like, the facts here. There might have been some other things going on. A bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Like, Forcing I'm not you saying. you to change your hormones randomly because, oh, my God. Like, right. no. Right. So, and then I would have a period, which would follow, like, it would take me probably, like, three weeks for the, my period to catch up because I was never, as far as I know, I was never pregnant. Right. And so my body would just like freak out, adjust, have a cycle. And up but up until the point when I had the cycle, I would be in this like paranoia of like, I might be pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I was having nightmares every night when that was the question. Because I wasn't ready to be pregnant. I had just raised a bunch of siblings and like hadn't had a break and really needed a break. And so I was, like, really hoping that I wouldn't be pregnant. And I would have night terrors just, like, waking up freaking out because I'd have dreams where in my dream I would suddenly be, like, nine months pregnant. Yeah. And I wouldn't remember, like, anything around, like, causing the pregnancy or around it. And I would just be, like, like abstractly pregnant. And it freaked me out. And so I'd have these, like, panic attacks and wake up in the middle of the night you know, having these night terrors, and it was just awful. (laughs) And all of this kind of goes back to this, like, this whole mindset around birth and miscarriage because there's this, like, whole mythology around pregnancy where, like, it's, it's like a sacred life that has a soul from the first heartbeat. Right. And so if I didn't get pregnant I would be miscarrying which means that I would have killed a baby because I'd been on you know too much hormones and like made an, a hostile environment for a child in my womb right which is which obviously your just fault. as bad as having an abortion right yep. so there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of like scientific misinformation and yeah. a lot of gaslighting nonsense um like if, that, if your marriage looks like that, that's kind of abusive. Don't do it. It's not kind of abusive. It is abusive. Don't do it. It's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, so my, my mom had never had a miscarriage, but I we'd had some friends who had had miscarriages, and some of them treated it very kind of private grief, like got to heal, got to rest, got to move on. Mm-hmm. And some people made this whole thing about it, like sent out like birth announcement style newsletters Whoa. with like, uh, we have a child and it's in heaven. Its name is this. And we had this funeral on this day and its birthday was this day. And like they would have like a full on like funeral for it. Yeah. Um, we did have funerals for the stillborns, but like. That's because they were fully developed bodies, so that was sort of par for the course with that. Right. And I knew a lot of women who, if they did have a miscarriage, they they would somehow 
in their heads, rationalize it with this belief that they had somehow caused it and mm-hmm. they were like at fault. Um, like through some sin or another, like they had just like not basically been good enough and God had decided to take away this child from them. Yeah. My mom, well, my parents both really um, took the stillbirths the opposite way mm-hmm. as like a sign of God's love. And they used the funerals to like be salvation. Um, what's the word? Altar calls. There we go. Uh, so the, the entire funerals were altar calls and the entire way that they talked about it and still talk about it was like this is God's way of showing his love because he gives life and he takes life away and it also like dovetailed very nicely into their whole theology of suffering um, equals godliness which they got from like first and second Peter right yeah yeah so that's a that's a thing there's this like martyr complex around like God is testing you God is making like proving your faithfulness like it's kind of a Job style like object mm-hmm. lesson of like we're going to have to go through this because God wants to like test our faith and be sure that like we really like trust him. Um just fucked up. Like that's an abusive yeah. relationship. It really is. That was one of the things that I realized early on through deconverting was that like the relationship that I had with God and was taught to have and was taught was godly was just a very, 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 very abusive relationship that honestly I never wanted any part of. Right. If you had a a partner who treated you like this, like you would be like very quickly able to file like a restraining order because of how much evidence you would accrue. Right. How abusive it was. Yeah. Um, so we've got some pieces here that we're including in the show notes that kind of like demonstrate this mindset. Mm-hmm. So these are taken from Above Rubies, which is, uh, <laughs> if you missed that episode, you missed that episode. It's, um, <laughs> some super fundamentalist homesteading people the kind of people who are very anti-vax very much like living off the grid because the apocalypse is coming tomorrow kind of people these are the people who like i call it reversal porn they're the ones who like glorify like if a family has stopped having kids and had the the husband get a vasectomy like if he gets a reversal so that he is fertile again, then that's like taking you giving your fertility over to God and like uh like the epitome of like surrendering your life to God's will. Right. And this is like this like real glorified, like godly thing to do. So they this is a where a lot of my awareness of an understanding of how this world talked about miscarriage came from because these were like always in the bathroom when I was a yes. kid. So I would just like sit there being like this like stressed out, constipated little teenager, like <laughs> reading this miscarriage porn. Oh God. No. <laughs> no. Um, so 
this one is is uh these are all from the website so i don't know what issue they came from but like this one is called a privilege it says after a miscarriage i felt god spoke i'm gonna read that as is spoke these words to my heart quote most people view a miscarriage as a loss a victory for the enemy because he stole a life that is not the perspective i want you to have I want you to see it as a privilege to have made and carried this baby for my eternal purposes, which you know nothing about. I wanted you to have a child, but chose not to take one of yours that you already knew so well. So, like, God wanted to take one of your babies, but, like, decided not to take one of the live ones. Right. He was being nice. It was a nice thing. It was a nice thing. You will share eternity with this baby, but I didn't need her in this world. You gave me permission to give you whatever children I want for my glory and my purposes. The mys the are all capitalized, by the way. You have understood all of your children to be gifts from me, only lent to you for a time. Only I can decide how long or short to grace your earthly life with each child. Remember, my purposes and plans are always eternal. You are limited to an earthly perspective. Do not be cast down, but rejoice and take joy in the child I've shared with you. You may call her angel. Yeah. So what do you see here? Uh, Well, that sounds an awful lot like how my family handled the both of the stillbirths, actually. Mm-hmm. was My mom had similar epiphanies or whatever where... Mm-hmm. We were told that God spoke to her and told her these things and that it was because of his greater, better plan for their lives and stuff. And I, a lot of it, like, I'm not a therapist, but I feel like a therapist would have a day with this because this is, like, a really interesting coping mechanism mm-hmm. where it's, like, it's not internalizing it as your fault and so you can move on without feeling a whole lot of guilt but all and and like it it does the thing where it like gives it a greater purpose but it's also like when you you think about that relationship right like I control how long these people are here and this is for my glory and I'm doing this because I want it it's very selfish and very like not okay yeah, it's it's very it's 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 a romanticization of it in a really weird way. It's romanticizing this idea of like you are so special to God that God is like jealous for you. like your particular offspring to exist right. in his house right now and like so, you know, be grateful for what you have because, like, you're so great and your kids are so great. We could have just taken all of them and we didn't. Right. It's very like I was, kind of... I was going to do this really bad thing because I wanted to, but I didn't. So aren't you special? Be happy. I could have killed all your children. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's super twisted. And yeah. it's nice that she's not taking it, like, it as if it's her fault. Excuse me. But, but... Like, uh, yeah, it's still not any better. Like, I'm sh- right. like psychically, she's able to move on and rationalize it, but like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, like it's, yeah, 
Yeah. So there's another there's another one we're gonna have where like this mom is like having a repeat miscarriage. You know, God is going along through this with me and like suffering with me. So that's one thing that she's like using to comfort herself with. And then like, what's God's plan? How can anything good come of this? And then, you know, like, apparently there's, like, an angel sighting at the birth. And then, like, you know, it was, like, a way of God, like, giving her something to grieve over so that God could have an opportunity to comfort her. Right. Oh, yeah, because there's that whole thing, too. Right. You want to unpack that one? (laughs) Yeah, where, like... God will do messed up shit to you so you can learn something or experience him somehow. Like, Well, so that he can also, like, make you feel better from right. it. Right, yeah. So it's like, you know, you couldn't just, like, let people be. You have to, like, ruin their lives so you can comfort them later. Which, like, to, to extend our metaphor from before, like, our analogy from before, like, this is the, like, abuse cycle where it's, like, the, like, escalation of the conflict and then the, like, honeymoon period making up afterward. Right. Like, that's a trauma bond. That's not normal. This should not be happening. Right. Exactly. And it's like, well, and it, yeah. My parents did a lot of that, too. It's like the, well, I'm only doing this thing that hurts you because I love you so much. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's that's not love, though. That's That's abuse. Did your parents ever, like, make jokes about God spanking them? No. Well, no. Okay, because, like, mine did, and I I can definitely imagine that if, like, we had had a miscarriage, that would have been, like, in, in our lexicon to process it. Yeah. My parents were, like, they didn't see, like, having bad stuff happened to them Mm -hmm. as punishment after a while they saw Mm -hmm. it as like they were being persecuted they were the holy ones this is god showing them that he Mm -hmm. loves them so it wasn't god punishing them for anything anytime they made a decision that they suffered consequences for it was god using them to do something to bring his will to bring Mm -hmm. him glory because he loves them because yeah and, like, if, if our life was going, like, fine, my parents would get, like, nervous. Like, what are we doing wrong? We're <laughs> not suffering. Maybe God doesn't love us. And they would make a stupid decision. I, I remember this conversation I had with one of my, my friends during college where she was like, you don't have to choose the more difficult option always. What? Because... That's not going to bring more glory to God if you're suffering. You're allowed to, like, have an easy, like, make a choice to choose something that's easier for you. Wow. And and that was such a mind-blowing moment. Yeah. Like, I was, like, a senior in college. I was probably engaged at that point. And it was just, like, this thing. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's actually that's actually true. Why did I ever believe this? Because it was clearly like one of those moments where like, oh, I slipped into believing this thing and I didn't mean to. Right. Um, Which is like that, like the suffering is like clearly God's will. 
Yeah, my parents would call that blasphemy. They'd be like, oh, yeah, no, definitely. that is wrong. <laughs> okay, so then, then there's these other stories that, like this one, this third one that like I'm going to put up here, with this woman, like, she's 19, she gets pregnant, and she goes in for an ultrasound, they can't find a heartbeat, her boyfriend wants her to get a, uh, an abortion, but she doesn't. But, like, when she can't find the heartbeat, she's devastated. She goes in for a DNC. And the doctor makes some offhand comment, like, oh, well, of course they couldn't find a heartbeat. It wasn't developed enough. And she uh. interprets that to be, to say, like, that she aborted it. That mm-hmm. it would have been fine if she just waited longer. And she goes on to have, like, six more miscarriages and a bunch of other kids. And and at some point, she, like, gets more medical information to, like, uncover that, like, no, it actually was a miscarriage and she didn't abort it, but she'd been carrying around this weight for all this time, assuming that she had aborted it. And and I, like, the, the repeat miscarriages thing, like, really makes me angry because... I knew a lot of women whose doctors would be like, hey, you are not, like, built for this. Don't have any more kids. This will Mm -hmm. kill you. Or, like, this will, like, seriously do damage. And, like, you might not recover. You'll never be the same again. That kind of stuff. And because of the quiverful mentality, they would just be like, yeah, that's fine. But, like, God wants me to do this. And I'm called to do this by God. So, therefore, I'm just going to keep doing it. Yes. And... My mom shared that mentality and looked up to this other woman who literally almost hemorrhaged to death twice <laughs> because she, like, her doctors told her, you shouldn't have any more kids because you will hemorrhage. And she had another child and she hemorrhaged. And then she had another child after that one and she hemorrhaged. And mm. my mom was talking about this, like, Oh, she's just so dedicated and so strong in her faith. And I was like, if she dies, she leaves seven children with no one. How is that better? How is that? Oh, that's definitely God's plan for those children to, like, you know, honor their mother's martyrdom and legacy. Right, and let, like, the 12-year-old run the house. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't see the face I'm making right now, but I'm angry. Yeah. So... There's all of these layers in this world. And, like, sorry that this episode's so dark, but they're all dark. And, <laughs> um, honestly, it's just cruel. It's just really, it's it's really cruel to women. It's really cruel to, sorry, people who were born with uteruses to, like, make them carry this responsibility and this Mm -hmm. weight it's similar to the weight that's put on them for being sexy and like making men stumble and like lust after them yeah this whole like i mean it's downright this it's downright the same logic as like fucking henry the eighth where it's like oh you can't produce a son must be your problem like right you know the science is out there and you're wrong and a lot, like, what what makes this even worse to, like, kind of tie it into some politics right now is, like, mm-hmm. a lot of these same people do right-to-life activism mm-hmm. and, like, push for these laws that criminalize themselves if their body just can't carry a child. 
Right. Like, Which is why you are, like were so relieved when you got your hysterectomy. Yes. Yes. Because you are aware of this logic chain and the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I perfectly, perfectly get it. Yeah. That's yeah, a big deal. So that's like... If you wanted to know what it was like to grow up in this world and like and also like have a uterus and and deal with that and then also to have the context of the things that these people are advocating for. This is the episode. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and yeah, and so there's this wait, like as I said, like that's why I was thinking about that on the day I got my first period cuz I'm like sitting there with this like all of this knowledge about birth and the responsibility of like bearing a live child for God as being like my entire like reason for existing mm-hmm. and being like cool I just killed one right yeah. like that yeah. that is a that is a psychological weight that no 11 year old should ever have to bear no no, like that horror, like when my mom, when when I had my period and my mom was super excited about it, I was just terrified because I I knew what having that ability meant mm-hmm. on multiple levels. And that was mm-hmm. not something I was prepared to be responsible for. No, that's, like, that's something you no know. Way. You're still a fucking child. There's yeah. no way, there's no way you should have to even be thinking about this. And yet it's forced on us so early because it's, it's, it's just, there's no reason for you to exist unless you're able to bear kids for God. So yeah. get with the program. And I feel like, like my mom has no idea that that's what that did to me because she didn't grow up in that. She didn't grow up with that weight. She grew up, mm-hmm. she went to like school, like a normal public school with normal right. people. Right, she got to opt into the system. Yeah, and I was the one who grew up with that weight and had that dread. She just had a normal period that was just like a fucking normal period, but I had a period kind of annoying, like, oh my big God. Deal. Yeah. I now am responsible for lives, like. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting because as this is just me going off on a weirdo tangent, but like it's interesting because for a like religion and a culture that like disrespects women's like reproductive rights so much, mm-hmm. it's putting on them all of the responsibility of like the the goddess, if you know, like the like the original like like idea of like what a goddess is like this like you can create life mm-hmm. and giving them no none of the authority yeah that's exactly what it is so giving them no control over it but giving them the power yeah and just being like but you can't do anything about it whoops yeah it's fucking terrifying it really is it really is. That's why so many things are better now that I don't have a uterus. <laughs> so many. Congratulations. Things. God. Yeah. Anyway. So that's this episode. Miscarriages. It's a fucked mindset. It's a fucked world. Your yeah. life stuff. So fun. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So, um, as we have said before, producing this content. To educate you guys about what we grew up with, 
is kind of triggering and requires emotional labor and we love you and we love doing this for you but like fuck you pay me <laughs> like yes. in the like the kindest way possible in like the kindest way possible <laughs> Please help i just saw hustlers come on guys give me a break this week I, i'm i just saw hustlers yeah no like mm, this this is something that is a labor of love but like any support that you give toward us makes our lives a little bit easier so that we don't have to hustle quite as hard. So um, we can have the spoons to do this. So we can have the spoons to do this. Yeah. So thank you for our for your support. If you're a longtime supporter, we love you. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And if you're not and you want to be, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. You can find the archives on our website, kitchentablecult.com, because I haven't changed all the links yet. Right. And and we've had some questions about this, like, in case you, like, haven't been keeping up. If you can't see all the episodes, it's because you're not a patron. And once you're a patron, then you can unlock all of the archives. Yes. That's how it works. If you have any questions, you can email us at kitchentablecult at gmail.com. That's also on our website. Also, our Twitter is on our website. I should put the Instagram on our website. It's all the same. It's mostly all the it's same. It's all handle. the same. Yeah. Except yeah. for Twitter, which is Kitchen Cult Pod. Because. Because Kitchen Table Cult Pod was taken. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. It was weird. I love that nobody's using it and it's just gone. Yeah. Um, that's Twitter for you. So come join us on the social media dumpster fire. We're jumping on mattresses over there and like screaming our heads off because, you know, impeachment inquiries kind of fun week for us. If you want to know our thoughts about that, we've already talked about Mike Pence. What episode is that? Um, <laughs> I don't remember. It's early on. You can in Google season it. One. It's you can Google it. And it's early on in season one. We have already talked about why we like, are like tentatively for impeachment, but like please make it as close to the election as fucking possible because yeah. this is bad news. This is why I keep saying now is the time. Like if it's gonna get done, it's got to be done like now because you'll have five minutes, guys. Like Let's do it. Anyway, yeah. anyway, support us on Patreon. Follow us on the internet. Like, subscribe, share, review, star. Yeah, yeah, that's something that you can do. Yeah, that's something that you can do even if you're not able to afford like a patron subscription to support us. You can just like review it and like it because that'll boost our ratings and get more eyes on it. Yeah. Thank you. The music on this episode is from our friend, the band The Heavens, and their album Stenazzo. And thank you, Dave, for editing this podcast, as always. Dave the Great. You are the best. We will catch you all next time. Bye. Bye.